We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm through! That's Roth! How you doing, Roth? Hey, man. How are you? I'm good! I'm jetting the fuck out of here in two days. I'm going to a, to a beach house with, with my parents and my brother and my sister. It's like a family reunion, but it's two weeks long. And who doesn't yeah. love hanging out with their extended family for two weeks? What could, what Most could go of us, wrong? I think the only real thing that you're going to probably regret is not tacking on the third week. Yeah, well, you know what? You're going to want a little extra time. My mom, she reserved the house for three weeks. And she's like, I hope you can come for the whole time. And I was like, well, we'll try. And everyone in the family was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a period of time where my, uh, when we used to go to the Jersey Shore and my parents would get an extra week, which they don't do now. Just I think because I, I never really thought about it this way. I, like, I know that like for my sister and me, it can be stressful to hang out with your parents. And the whole time they're sort of like, well, I don't know what you wanted for dinner, but I thought I heard someone say that they wanted you to make us an elaborate dinner, but I don't know who that was. And like, there's a lot of sort of <laughs> passive aggression going on. But the week that they were there by themselves, they seemed like they had a blast. They were just like making meat and eating it every night, which they can't do. And my sister and her family or when my wife is there, and uh, they stopped doing that. So now it's very high stakes every night. Uh, what will we make them? Will they be upset? Will they oh. send any signals about what we want, what they actually want to eat before we cook it, or, you know, whatever. So anyway, good luck up there on your vacation, and uh, congrats on not vacationing with my parents. Yeah, my my daughter specifically. My my kids, they, they want to be here, and they don't want to be with us. They want to go see their friends, particularly my daughter. She's 17. She could be a senior, so it's like, this is really her last summer, like in the trenches. So she's like, uh, like she wants to hang out with people who are not mom and dad or like related to mom and dad. But tough shit, girl. You're yep, stuck sorry. with us for two weeks. You got to go to a fabulous house on vacation. Also stuck with us is uh, this week's guest, Defector intern, <laughs> Abigail Siegel. Hi, Abigail. Hey. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you said hello just like Roth when he comes onto the Zoom call. Congratulations. Wrong. I do yeah. say, well, I kind of say it like that. You're like, oh, oh, But yeah, this is, we'll get you out of here to hang out with more age-appropriate people, uh, just like Drew's daughter, as soon as we can. No, no, no. Abigail, how are you doing? First of all, how's the job been? Have we treated you well? Like, Barry Pacheski is not like throwing coffee in your face and being like, I said I want a latte. Or anything like that. <laughs> no, that only has happened like once or twice so far. So okay. I'd say it's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And 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 we are paying you. Are we paying you more than the average NFL running back? That's not hard. I'd look, but I assume that we are treating you correctly. We use the franchise tag on Abigail. No, we can't do that. We'd use that, by the way, on Catherine, the last intern. It's true. So. Yeah. But yeah. it's been so you are are you at home or are you in Canada now? I am currently in Montreal. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Good for you. Are you in Montreal because are you at school right now or are you just hanging in Montreal for the summer? Um, mostly hanging. I'm also helping to like run a farmer's market here. So that's yeah, why I really? have to be yeah. here in person. Yeah. Now you're speaking, speaking my language. Yeah. Can I get like free romaine from you? Uh, yeah. If you come visit, then sure. Oh, I'll I got go. Okay. Well, if I yeah. go, I mean, that's not. Yeah. What is involved in that? I uh, had a few good years of being a site coordinator at a CSA, which is a like basically like subscribing to a farm. That was a real big moment for me. What uh, what are you doing at the in terms of running the farmer's market? Do you have to wrangle like Quebecois lettuce growers or is it more just like getting people to show up and, and actually work the tables? Quebecois is an amazing pronunciation of Quebecois. That's how you, that's how you say it. 
No, I know how to say it. <laughs> really, really yeah. embracing the qua. The qua. Um, yeah, I say but I'm, is, but I'm not from the me. French part of New Jersey, Abigail. <laughs> this is the best I could do. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. Just got the um, way. Oh. French is a crazy language. But anyway, um, I'm one of like four coordinators and like my job is mostly to handle the vendors. So I like sent out the like vendor applications and then talked to all of them. Um, and they're like all way cooler than I am because they all like have their own cool businesses. Um, and then you know, I sent out their contracts and then on market days themselves, we set up and then hand out CSA baskets and then nice. tear down and are there for any problem solving. So Can I ask you, is it, is it fun? Yeah, it's definitely fun. We've had some crazy weather things. Like there was one day when there was a, like a tornado warning. And so we had to cancel that day, but we still had to stay and pass out CSA baskets. So it was like, it's been a little chaotic, but overall, very fun. Yeah. Well, also, like, it could be, it's going to be hard to set up a farmer's market. Like, if the sky is blood red from, you know, 8,000 wildfires that are coming uh, down from up north, that's not. Yeah, they're not, they're not either. skipping Montreal on their way to New no, York no, City no. And, the, and the Delmarva region, right? Like, they're. They have an extended layover in, in southern Canada, I would imagine. Well, I actually don't entirely know how it works, but since I've been back in Montreal, the. The air quality has actually been really good. So I think there is like something where maybe it's just like, like just avoiding Montreal, just catching to me personally. Um, yeah, I don't know. The smoke is like, you yeah. French people, you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get in the way of the poutine. And then there's just, yeah, straight to fucking sit over my building and make it look like I'm in Blade Runner 2049. We love that. We love we did that actually, experience. Uh, we did actually pledge to talk more about food this weekend. We're already succeeding on that front. However, yeah, wanna, all right, I was going to say we can. This is a lot of no. Good food we have to. We have to talk about the important shit because Abigail is here to give us a belated preview of the currently ongoing Women's World Cup. And I would normally this part where I go haters kid and all that stuff. But we actually need proper. Uh, we need to talk seriously. About I don't this know shit. enough to do a hater's guide to the Yeah, world. and what am I going to do? I'm going to be like, oh, Japanese women, terrible. Like, that's Ugh. not going to go over all that. Podcast well. canceled in the middle of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Yanked off the air and replaced with an episode of the Pod Johns. So, uh, Abigail, let's start with the U.S. women's team, because really, that's the only team that matters to me. As of this recording, the U.S. has only played one game, a 3-0 win over Vietnam. They're due to face the Netherlands on Wednesday, but that's long after uh, this podcast is wrapped. So, I must tentatively ask you, given the Vietnam result and results leading up to this tournament, how are we looking so far? Yeah, how are we doing? I'd say good with a question mark. Ooh, ooh, the upspeak. That's dangerous. I think we have obviously a lot, like all of our players are really amazing and talented. And we have sort of this like historical force that I think will definitely like help us push through. But I also think that like we don't always perform as well as we can and i'm not sure that we have like a system in place um to help us perform well like i think we rely a little bit too much on individual players um to like make their own like moments of magic um so i think time will tell and i think this upcoming netherlands game will be very revealing i was going to ask about uh the netherlands because is the road in this cup more difficult for the U.S. women's team than it was in the last one, which they won? Um, honestly, probably not. I think that that kind of the half of the bracket that we're on has less of the sort of more dominant teams on it. 
Um, so I do think that this, I mean, I'd have to look at the bracket again, but I do think that this Netherlands game might be our hardest one, assuming we make it out of the group for like a, a couple, um, like it'll be harder than a couple of the first uh, knockout matches. Uh, you have concerns about injuries uh, to our team uh, that we're coming into the cup with. Do those concerns remain? Are we a little beat up? Yeah, they definitely remain. It was really great to see Rose Lavelle out on the pitch, um, but she didn't play the whole game. And obviously when Rose is out there, things typically go well. So I wish we saw a little bit more from her. Um, also, a lot of players are just fully out of the World Cup. Um, I think we're really missing like Sam Mewis in the midfield. Um, also, of course, Mallory Swanson, formerly Mallory Pugh, um, would have just really killed it. Um, up top and I think if she had been playing in this game we would have had a lot more goals um, yeah why is Mallory out what's her injury she got hurt um, a couple months before the World Cup in a game against Ireland ah oh, Ireland classic Arr. we have to do the requisite like Dave McKenna where they go to high school thing when we talk about Ireland but we can move right past that I hey, struck arc as somebody who doesn't know very much about this team beyond having read your preview at defector.com and enjoyed it that there's I, I was struck by uh, I guess it was is it Sophia Lewis that was the like basically looked uh, like a player that I had not whose name I had not heard who looked like a super duper star against uh Vietnam who are the the people I should be as as an idiot who will be staying up late to watch this team um like just considering that I'm going to have limited attention because my brain is gone, who should I be uh, watching closely if the names right. that I recognize are not there? Right. So I think that by Sophia Lewis, you might have meant Sophia Smith. Nope, I meant Sophia Lewis, different person. Good job, Mom. Roth. I don't fucking know this shit. We're running the whole thing back. <laughs> We're running it back, taking it out. We can leave it. Okay. I don't care. Go ahead. So yeah, Sophia <laughs> Smith. I'm sure she's very good. She is very good and very scary. There's like an excellent Nike ad that's just all playing on her being like scary and haunting an opponent. So I recommend that. But anyway, Sophia Smith, very good. Um, also, Trinity Rodman is excellent. I think even though she didn't have any goals in the game against Vietnam, I think she was one of our best players out there. She was, she just like, has such a high work rate and was all around the field and really was making things happen. She drew the penalty that Alex Morgan missed. But anyway, other players... Um, Crystal Dunn, right? Uh, yeah, Crystal Dunn. Yes. Um, she's incredible. Um, yeah, also Naomi Gurma is fantastic center back. Thank God we have her with Becky Sauerbrunn out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like... Honestly, all of our players are like really amazing and have le these like excellent stories behind them. Um, so yeah, I think you can close your eyes and point to one, and there would be a cool thing about them. I'm a so big then, Lewis guy. I love Lewis. So uh, I mean, you're essentially what you're saying is the talent is not really a problem. So then it would come down to strategy and deployment. And I wanted to ask you about our coach, Vlako Andonovsky, who absolutely looks like a man named Vlako. Andonovsky, specifically. I loved doing a Google image search on this. I saw the rundown and I was like, well, this sounds promising. Oh, dude. And he is, the Vladko aesthetics are very, yeah. very strong. Like Absolutely. His levels of Vladko that I've never encountered before. Like the guy who's going to drink you under the table in a potato vodka shot contest <laughs> in a fucking a Serbian bar that has no lights. 
You know who he, re- he reminded me of was? Do you remember David Blatt, who coached the uh, the Cavs for a little while? Oh my God, the, David the guy Blatt that was like, era. I'm a fighter pilot, okay? So like, getting Danielle Marshall to get back on defense is nothing to me. And this he uh, Antonovsky looks like if Jeremy Renner played David Blatt in a movie. Wow. That yeah. is a very Some, specific Dan Something Lovitar nice to think right about. There. Anyway, but that doesn't necessarily, uh, if you're familiar with David Blatt or Jeremy Renner's work, that doesn't necessarily inspire that much faith. Yeah, let's get back to the serious talk, because Abigail, you were worried about the roster uh, that Vlatko had assembled for this cup, and also his configuration of our midfield. Do those concerns still exist for you? Yes. I think... Like one of the biggest issues that I noticed in this past game was that we would like take a shot and then it would rebound and then there would be no one there to put it in. Like, I think ideally you have at least one midfielder sort of hovering at the top of the 18 to get any rebounds or making a late run. But I feel like so often we'd have our forwards making excellent shots that would be saved by Vietnam's goalie or something like that. And then there was just no follow through. Like it didn't feel like we had any depth to the midfield. And so it's just like, where are all the people? And so that's obviously like a question of the system that we have. Do we have a deep midfield or are they simply not being coached properly? I think midfield, I mean, it's all, it's all relative, which is so annoying to say. I think the It's US- okay. You can say annoying shit. We say, <laughs> yeah. Roth and I say way more annoying shit on this podcast. Don't oh, yeah. About that. I'm just getting I warmed think, up. Yeah. I think any, like, our roster is insane. Like, you just look at it and it's crazy. Um, but I think that our midfield is relatively less deep than the other positions. Um, I don't know. I think if Rose Lavelle can get healthy, then that will help a lot. Um, just because she can sort of overcome um, coaching issues. Um, Yeah, but I mean, and it's also interesting because we have Savannah DeMello, who's an amazing player, but has this is her first like ever time being with this team. And so she was like amazing in the league. And so they picked her to join the team, but she obviously doesn't hasn't had the time to like build that cohesion with the group. So I think that if, Rose Lavelle can get healthy, then things would look a lot better. Um, but I also think that Antonovsky and the coaching staff should do more about sort of making sure that the midfield is where we needed to be in those crucial moments. Did Lavelle look healthy enough to you in that Vietnam game? Or was it the sort of thing where it's like, she could twig a hamstring at any second and then just bow out for the rest of the tournament? I mean, I feel like because she gets injured, or I feel like in the past few years, at least she's been injured so much that I sort of always perceive her as this like fragile little baby bird Uh who can always like be broken. Um, But when she's healthy, she's a menace. Like she was playing amazing while she was out there. It's just a matter of like how confident the coaching staff feel in having her out there. Uh, One more question before we get on to the the rest of the field and the tournament itself. And your preview for the U.S., you wrote... I'm sure you are familiar with hamburgers and apple pie, so I'll spare you my personal thoughts on those. Lucky for you, Abigail Siegel, we love pointless food talk on this show, and I've already had some of that. Do you have takes on hamburgers and apple pie? Because you might shock us like Megan Greenwell did when she declared pancakes to be bullshit on this podcast. Well, first of all, pancakes are not bullshit. Pancakes are so good. Right? Delicious. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Um, I actually, when I was younger, like in fifth grade or something, I was like really obsessed with pie and I would like 
tell everybody that like I like pie. Like I, I sort of became like a catchphrase, <laughs> which is like so strange. That's um, like as like an, an icebreaker, or like how did you do this? It would be like I would just be like in conversation and then be like, oh, I like pie. Like I don't remember. <laughs> I think I've like kind of blocked it out a little bit because it's so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> That's but, great. That's yeah. so grade school, though. It's like that's that's Abigail. That's the kid who likes pie. Like yeah. that's yeah. totally like that's her calling card. Yeah. <laughs> but so I definitely have like a soft spot for pie. I love it. Apple pie. I think it's like you just can't get any better. Um, hamburgers wise, I'm vegetarian, so I can't say that you know I eat a lot of hamburgers. But like at a restaurant where there aren't really many veggie issues, like. You know, an Impossible Burger or Beyond Burger can be good, although there are also issues with, you know, lab-grown, quote-unquote yeah, they're meat, not necessarily so. healthier for people oh. or for the environment. But no. my uh, <laughs> wife is a pescatarian, so I've, I've got, like, uh, annoying opinions. Hopefully someday you'll hear me reading an ad in which I express them about, like, which of the uh, fake meat products are good and which ones are bullshit. And they are the least useful opinions that I have. And this is as somebody that, like, could, you know, like, talk about how the Nets used Lucius Harris when I was in my 20s incorrectly or something. That, like, there is a part of me, the, like, no one wants to hear my takes on field roast. Although, you are a podcaster. Yeah, and I know and I am a podcaster, so I can't really bear that in mind. Is apple pie your number one? My number one pie? Yes. That's, like, that's so difficult. I'm that, I don't like, know. Sophie's can, choice you know what? here. Take your time. We got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. For pie. I mean, I, I mean, it's just like the mixture of like sort of tender, warm, uh, warmly spiced fruit with then like a kind of crispy crust that's like buttery. It's just like you can't get better. But then again, like an a, like a pumpkin pie, which is custard based, is also so good, but like for She's different right. reasons. So I just think like let's just celebrate all the pies and you know we don't have to pick favorites. No, no, no. Unfortunately, uh this is the internet and you do have to pick favorites, which is why I'm gonna ask you one more pie question for an apple pie. <laughs> then you're gonna ask that question again, like good cop, bad cop mode. Do you want and so I ask again, Miss Siegel. Do you want a regular crust on the roof of your pie, of your apple pie, or do you want a crumb topping on top? I think if I get to choose, then you get probably, to choose. Then probably crumb topping because then Boosh! you have a crust on the bottom and a crumb topping on top, and Fuck what's yeah, better do. than that? It's like double trouble. I love it. That's a great way to end this segment. We're gonna take a quick. Wait, wait, break. wait! I want to say one more pie thing. No, fuck you. Yeah, all right. When we were in. Main reason. <laughs> we did something. Yes, we did something that we uh, only ever do there, which is there's a, a bakery that we like that's like they got good, they make really good coffee. They have, uh, you know, scones and things of that nature. It is also a place where my wife, who's ordinarily very moderate in her eating, and I, who am not a big sweets person, we will just get a piece of pie with breakfast and eat it. And that is like if my ship comes in. And I don't need to like keep myself together in the way that I do now. I think becoming a breakfast pie person is like something to aspire to. I think that would be amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. And the whole thing with like, like you need a charcoal croissant for breakfast, but not like a piece of cake. Like, get the fuck out. It's all yeah. The it's, difference be- between a blueberry pie, for you. yeah, and like some of the the whatever like chocolate chip pancakes is basically that's academic. Yeah, that's nothing. All right, let's take a break. We'll come right back with Abigail Siegel to talk more Women's World Cup. I just want to remind you, though, that this week's episode is brought to you by Peaches. You'll eat 500 milli ones just to get a good one. That's Peaches, nature's daily fantasy. 
We'll be right back with Abigail Siegel. <laughs> Hey, it's Drew, and this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices, and the path forward isn't always clear. Whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life, so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. But if you're not sure what you really want or how to make decisions that align with your values, therapy can be a really useful tool. And if you find the idea of starting therapy daunting, you're not alone. It can be expensive, frustrating, and take a long time to get an appointment. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on a journey of self-discovery right away. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and affordable. All you have to do to get started is create an account and fill out a brief questionnaire. And then BetterHelp will match you with a licensed therapist who you can start messaging with right away. So if you've been thinking about trying therapy but aren't sure where to start, BetterHelp is a great option to explore. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. And we're back with Abigail Siegel to talk about the Women's World Cup. Uh, let's expand the Women's World Cup conversation past the United States, which kills me mm. to do. But Abigail, for Defector, you wrote a piece about the best and worst ways to explain the offside rule in soccer to people. Now, I want to ask you, in your experience, do soccer noobs really want to understand the offside rule? Or is this their easiest way to hold a permanent complaint against the sport? I mean, I don't think that that's exclusive to soccer noobs. I think that everyone kind of hates it in some way, and we all like to use it to be able to complain and like as an excuse, like, oh, our team only lost because of a bad offside call, like something like that. So I think I actually think that off like the hatred of the offside rule like might be bigger than soccer itself. Oh, well, yeah, I've actually like I can sort of attest to that in the sense that I've absorbed it. In that sort of passive way that you, if you like log on to Twitter at 10 a.m. on a Saturday and everybody's like, flopping ham is a disgrace. And you're like, oh, I know what you're watching. There's like VAR and the offside rules are the sort of things that I've like absorbed an enmity for, despite the fact that they've never personally affected me or my life. I think there is a market difference between saying, oh, that's a bullshit offside call. Right. Like you go to the VAR and like the guy is a fucking nanometer ahead of the other guy. And you're like, this is so annoying. Like, just let the cool goal stand. And being fundamentally against it on principle, like if Rick Riley writes a whole column, which he did, where it's like, why do they have this? Like, why can't you just cherry pick and score 10 goals a game? Like that to me is sort of the the dog whistle of soccer haters uh, whenever I see it. And I used to deploy it when I was like a soccer hater. And now I just, people get called offsides and I'm like, all right, they're offsides. Well, I don't really get it, but I'm like, Ugh. I feel like usually I like appreciate VAR because it can kind of keep games from like getting too crazy. But like let, this morning, I guess, um, in the New Zealand Philippines game, which was like a big upset because the Philippines won, um, New Zealand looked like they had scored, but then it got called offside because of, and it, they showed the like whatever. AI generated image of it and it was basically just the New Zealand player's ear that was across oh, and it's like annoying. like what like what are we doing here like no one's yep. using their ear to score a goal like that would hurt like what's going on <laughs> that would ear hole yourself to score a fucking <laughs> header that would be bad 
There was the there's a German lady that had a crazy header for a goal in the first game that they played, and it looked like she headed the ball off her temple, off of which it was an amazing header. It would just also look like the sort of thing like it looked like an accident, like it looked like she was shoved into the ball and part of her face hit it. Well, are you talking about Alexandra Pop? Her, yes. Her, well, so that was crazy, and I don't really understand it because she kind of was diving away from the goal. Yeah, it, it was kind insane. of appeared as if she would was a defender, but then she somehow got the ball inside the net. So, I with don't know. a bit of with quite a bit of mustard on it too, given that she was, it really did. I think you're right. Like, look like she was attempting some sort of like Matrix bullet time escape from it, and yet somehow it worked. I mean, yeah. that's that's good. That's good soccer. Like that's they, why they do. Call it- they a do the shit game. that does not make sense to you. Uh, Abigail, you wrote a long piece on Defector about indie soccer journalists. In this case, women from the podcast FC Shea Butter, Diaspora United, and Gal Pal Sports, who all raised money to cover this cup over in Australia and New Zealand when they couldn't find corporate backers to send them. Now, that's a great story for independent journalism. But I wanted to ask you, bigger picture, should I hope that the success of these podcasts will drive more corporate investment in both women's soccer and the coverage of it? Or should I hope that what's independent kind of stays independent, given what corporate investment does to product? Yeah, so that was a question that I was really thinking about while I was talking to them. Because on one hand, like being independent is hard because you don't get you know the same funding and the same support but it also gives you the kind of freedom and like the editorial freedom to talk about what you want to talk about um and so i asked all of them about it and they all kind of had different answers um which is kind of cool because that shows you how like varied the the like independent journalism space is and like how it allows these like all these different opinions to flourish i think that if institutions got really serious about like year-round good women's soccer journalism, I think there would generally be an attitude of like cautious optimism um, and just like hoping that they like employ good people who have been doing it um, and like give them the sort of discretion to like cover what is important and not sort of just like dictating what's being covered and like using these journalists as mouthpieces. Um, And I think that there are some already good examples of this, Um, like Sandra Sandra Herrera um, at CBS Sports um, is really good at this. Uh, she's been covering things for a while and now it's great that she has this bigger platform. Um, Also Meg Linehan and Steph Young are at The Athletic. Um, They both also started as like doing their own thing kind of and now are in this bigger um, organization. So I think that there are some examples there. Um, and it's just a matter of like, like what, where is the balance between um, making sure that what's being covered is being covered, but also like giving those journalists like the sort of security to really flourish. Right. Because it's great that Fox is broadcasting this cup on Fox proper and not just shuttling it to FS Sports 2 or whatever. Right. But, like, at the same time, they got fucking Alexi Lalas in the studio, right? And it's like, fuck. Like, you, you, you know, you, you're giving women all this coverage and you're still giving this asshole airtime at the half. And I don't, like, I hate him on men's soccer. I don't want this shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, all the cool kids listen to or watch, like, the Spanish version, so. That is true. That is true. One thing about that story, and 
and I swear I mean this in the most polite way possible, but you could read it the same way that people react to, like, whenever CNN does a tweet about, about like, hey, this school kid raised $500,000 so his mom could get cancer treatment, and it just gets ratioed into the sun because people are like, dude, we need fucking national health care. Yeah, healthcare that's not inspiring like that. at all. That actually yeah. sucks. So then it's like, okay, I, I, I feel good that these women were able to raise money, but at the same time, it's like, they should not have had to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's sort it's obviously sort of like a band-aid on a really big issue. Um and I think the a big takeaway of it is just that it shows the demand for this kind of really good coverage. Um like the for Shea Butter FC and Diaspora United, like they didn't even initiate the GoFundMe's for them. Like it was a fan yeah. that started it and a bunch of fans that contributed and then Gal Pal sort of saw that. That's and cool. we're like, oh, I wonder if we can replicate that. And then they tried, but it was entirely fan funded and like really quickly. And so it shows how hungry people are for this kind of really good coverage. And so I think even though it's like, yeah, like they, that really shouldn't have had to happen in the first place. There is this bright side where, okay, big organizations who are for some reason like blind and don't like can't be convinced that investing in women's soccer is a good idea. They sort of have this evidence now to be like, hey, all these pe people really wanted it so much that they funded us themselves. It's almost proof, and I don't want to plug Defector while we're doing this, but it is proof that there does not have to be just one media ecosystem, right? Because when you have one, yeah. it's controlled by one entity, and it makes the rules, and it usually sucks. And we need to have... Um, you know, in terms of journalism, in terms of art, in terms of society, uh, you know, you need to be able to have cottage industries that can thrive uh, and not, and you can't just be beholden on, oh, well, I hope Disney owns everything and that Disney does a nice job with it. You know, like you can't be shit like that. The thing that I would, I would add that sort of was like heartening about reading that story, which I, I recommend everybody, you did a great job on it, Abigail, is to see, I guess, knowing that there is still that sort of like grassroots uh, creation happening there because I feel like the internet that I came up on, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, you know, similar for Drew, I think he was, you know, doing more work earlier, that a lot of it sort of worked in the way that you could, you could get into it, you could write stuff for free or for virtually no money and still look at it as being like a reasonable career choice. Like you're starting with this. If people like it, you'll get called up and then you just sort of move through into maybe making a life out of it. I don't know enough about what the like sort of women's soccer media ecosystem is, and maybe Abigail, you would be able to answer this. So these podcasts obviously have devoted listenerships, like devoted enough that people are willing to foot the bill to fly them literally around the world to hang out in, you know, Australia and New Zealand are expensive places to go. Where would they go from here? Like, what is the state of how this stuff gets covered? Like, certainly, like, outside of World Cup years, like, is there a, a place where, like, this sort of popular independent thing could get called up into, like, a meaningful ecosystem? Yeah, so you're reminding me of something that um, Andre Carlisle said in my interview with him. He is one of the hosts of Diaspora United. Um and he said that kind of when he started doing his own little, you know, soccer journalism thing, he sort of figured that there would be kind of a merge, he said, between independent media and like more, 
like institutional places where they would see the people that are doing good work and then kind of swoop them up and say, we want you to do your good work for us. Right. But now he said that he doesn't necessarily anticipate that happening. And it, just because of the state of sports media and media in general um, is obviously kind of on the decline. So he doesn't, now that's not exactly what he anticipates anymore. Um, and so I think for all of these podcasts and Galpel, um, they, I think they would be delighted if something were to come across, um, like offering a more sort of secure job situation, doing soccer stuff. Um, but I also think that it would have to be like a very specific good deal that they could trust would, you know, last longer than, you know, until the CEO of the place decides to run it into the ground. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, and I think they've all thought about this a lot and it's kind of changed um, as they've built these platforms. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'll be curious to see. Yeah. I mean, that's like projectable across like the whole of this business and, you know, and into like a bunch of other, you know, not even media related businesses is that at some point it's like what it, because what you said is correct in the sense that there's like, there's both this demand for these things and yet also the media space like is declining or at the very least is being like very, very conservative about how it grows. And like the basic understanding that I always had of this was that like supply rises to meet demand. That's like the nature of this whole shit. <laughs> and the idea sure. that the demand is there and people are like, I don't know. I don't think supplying uh, that really seems like a good business model for us. We're really more of a um, an everything app now or whatever. It's just like, it's fucking grim. It makes me happy. Honestly, that was the part that I, I came away with from the story feeling good about was that people are still doing this shit because that's always what I, I sort of worry about is that like once the opportunity to make a career becomes that much harder, like are people just going to focus on, are they just going to go to law school, you know, and it's good that they're not. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's worth noting that all these people have day jobs, like they right. all yes, work nine course. to fives, like they all do their <laughs> own thing. So it's like, they're not, this is not their job job. They, it really is a passion project. And so that makes it like all the more incredible that they're doing that they are doing this and so i think a lot of ways this gofundme situation was just like a big thank you from the fans for them that's cool i mean i started my blogging career as a side gig too i worked i worked for years at a day job while blogging and then it became this so i i really do hope that that door remains open for for people and i want to write oh i'm sorry i want to talk about one other sort of big picture thing before we get back into the particulars of the soccer. Abigail, you wrote about how the Canadian women's team, and boy, we've had a lot of trouble with this Canada lately, uh, how they got fucked over by their own federation prior to the World Cup. The same way that Japan, the United States, Spain, Nigeria, Haiti, Zambia, and Jamaica all have been. Why do these countries pick their battles with their own women's teams? And do you expect that to change after the U.S. women fought for and won equal pay for themselves? I mean, like, to answer your first questions, like, 
I don't know, like antiquated notions of patriarchy. Like it's just like sexism. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say the answer is kind of obvious. I just, you know, I mean, I mean, and it ties into what we were talking about, like just now, is like if there's there's this whole myth that like supply like raises to meet demand, but like obviously that's not true, and because obviously there's so much demand for this, and in order to build strong teams, you really need strong investment, and it's just like. It's so ridiculous because we've proven time and time again that women's soccer, like, is a really great product. And, like, I am not, like, a finance or econ person. Anybody that knows me can tell you. But, like, it's just so stupid. And it's really frustrating because, like, Canada literally won the gold medal in the world in the Olympics in 2021. And here they are. Their federation said, oh, sorry, like, we can't pay you. What? Like, I think Zambia Zambia hasn't been paid for, like, two years. Something crazy. Jesus Christ. Christ. Like, like, what are we doing? These are professional athletes. It's crazy. And so I think to answer your question about, like, the U.S. women haven't gotten equal pay, like, obviously that's amazing. And in a lot of ways, the U.S. team has been sort of a guiding light for women's soccer. But in a lot of ways, we're not. And like, just because we sort of have cleaned up our side of the street doesn't mean that we should be ignoring that so many other like of these federations are setting their own teams on fire. It's also emblematic of, you know, we're talking about supply and demand. It seems like the golden goose for so many countries and industries is that they are able to dictate what the customers are demanding and then supply it as they see fit. So when, you know, it's, if they're, if they believe that there isn't uh, a demand for women's soccer, it's because they don't want there to be demand because they already have the infrastructure in place to support men's soccer and to support other products that they want to sell to you that they have readily on hand that they're already making. That the other thing takes effort and they don't want to do it. Um, This cup Abigail features uh, VAR decisions announced on the mic by the referee, NFL style. Why did they decide to let the refs talk? And can we do anything to stop it? I don't know. I think it's so funny, though. Like, it adds such a strange element of, like, am I watching soccer anymore? Or is this, like, some weird, like like tv show about soccer that like doesn't actually know how <laughs> soccer works <laughs> just like uh-huh. hitting the emergency brake and pivoting into drive to survive it's, mode <laughs> like yeah, while you're, like, you're like wait a second why the fuck is ed hockley on the pitch all of a sudden? <laughs> and it's so funny because you like would never used to hear referees like speak and so now you like can see that they're all like from these different places around the world which is like so funny um it's i mean it's great i'm kind of entertained by it at first i was uh like wary of it I honestly don't know exactly why FIFA has decided to make this change. I think that the most annoying part is for me that it kind of feels like they're using the like women's world cup as a guinea pig. I think yeah. that they, mm. they did do it like in at least a prior like youth world cup. Um, I don't know exactly, but yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of funny to me. I kind of like hearing officials talk. I mean, my number one is always going to be tennis, where the the chair umpire like just getting these like weird plummy. That's accents. different. Juice, but this is but yeah, juice. It's so or, like so we're trying to calm everybody down by going, please. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like that. But the but yeah. This. I mean, 
I definitely get you on the like not wanting to be experimented on thing, but I, I'm always up to hear some like weird, plummy middle European accents explaining VAR decisions. I want more and more of that. If it's I kind of like a silent soccer ref, though. I like him. He's like he he's a mysterious guy who kind of runs funny down the pitch, and he makes calls, and you don't even know like what the fuck he was just whistling, and you, you're even more confused after. Like they explain it to you. Like, I don't mind that. It's kind of like the uh, it's the stoppage time of officiating. You don't really know <laughs> what's going on. Well, know? but it's ridiculous because they don't even explain anything. They're just like after VAR review, the ruling on the field is goal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Probably would have gotten that like with the scoreboard going up one. <laughs> like, right. Like what's the hell? FIFA's like, oh, this is the efficient way to do it. I think they're afraid to be like. After VAR review, this woman's earlobe was offsides. They know that they would just get hit with rotten fruit if they said that. So they have to be like, uh, goal. And back to the action. <laughs> let's talk ridiculous. about the uh, let's talk about the rest of the field. Uh, what other countries and players in this cup, Abigail, are cool and worth rooting for? Yeah, who's cool? Yeah. Who's hot? Who's not? I mean, I feel like like all the like so many of the teams are so cool and you know, this World Cup is expanded, so there are 32 teams playing. Um, or is wait, eight times four is 32. Yes, it is. Um, anyway, college student. Nice. <laughs> this is why I'm not majoring in STEM. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so I think people, some people were like, oh, the women's game isn't advanced enough to handle this kind of field, but there have been really great games and score lines and upsets happening. So I think, you know, any team has players that will punish you for making a mistake, has a goal like it has been a really great world cup for goalies like amazing saves every game i feel like are some of the biggest highlights of the games um i think out of like the sort of classic like big contenders if the u.s doesn't win um i would be really happy if brazil won um it kind of feels like we're in a golden age of brazilian football um Partly because Marta is still playing and she's announced that it's going to be her last World Cup, but they just have so many players, like incredible players like Dabinia and Caroline. And we saw Ari Borges like go absolutely off. Um, and so that's really exciting. And, you know, Brazilian football is just always a pleasure to watch. Um, I'd also, of all the top dogs, be happy to see Australia make it far. Um, Ooh, my, team, because- my country. <laughs> partly because they're hosting, um, but they've just worked really hard to sort of grow the game there. Um, and, you know, players like Sam Kerr and Alana Kennedy and um, uh, ooh, is it her name? Mary Fowler? Sophia Lewis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Players like Sam Kerr and Alana Kennedy. And now we have young players like Mary Fowler coming through. Um, so I think that would be really amazing if Australia won. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think overall, though, I'm kind of rooting for just like chaos. Um, like we saw this morning, like Group A has totally been blown open because the Philippines beat New Zealand crazy. And then for some reason, like Norway decided to not start some of their players. And so they tied Switzerland. Um, very strange. But that's all to say that it's a really exciting World Cup um, and any team has the capability to do all right well chaos. then to that end it's coming out do not humor him do not say anything to him in the it's, it's coming, coming out he's, he's asking about england you can just tell him it's coming out 
It's is not it? coming home, mate. Are you ta- are you having a laugh? Are you taking a piss, mate? I'm just asking if it's coming home. That's all, all right. I'm asking. I think is it England could. Good? Oh, you can come home. It, oh, it you hear it. You hear it. Yeah. You what? You what? You think you think it's coming out? You know what? I'm going to drink a pint of malt vinegar in celebration of that. <laughs> Thank you, Abigail. Abigail, I noticed that all of your team previews did not really feature negative feedback from anonymous scouts. So could you give us some of that cowardly <laughs> analysis right now? Which team here does not have that dog in them? Who don't you like? Who are the villains of this cup? Well, I feel like I personally have a little vendetta against the German team. Um, I'm sure they're all very cool people, uh, but I think back Are to you? like the 2015 um, the uh, semifinal against the U.S. in which like it was a crazy game, and like I just think about like Morgan Bryan and Alexander Pop like beating each other's heads into like a bloody mess, and I just feel fear because I kind of think like the German team I think is number two in the FIFA World Rankings, and I feel like in the time that I've been following, you know, international soccer, they've been the only ones that like consistently feel like threatening of the U.S. dominance of like 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 imminently like any game they can beat us uh, like over the past you know decade or so. Um, so. I don't know. I'm like scared of the German team and they put up a real clinic against Morocco um, score winning six zero. And they had a bunch of other sort of goals that were called offside. And so, yeah, I think I'm Germany is my personal villain, but I know that that's kind of an unpopular opinion. So that you are, you are at the exact right place for that. Okay. Well then let's hear it. Who's going to win and not who do you want to win? Who do you think is going to win right now? Dude, I can't. I don't know. You have to. You have, I'm sorry, Abigail. It's a it's a take. You have to say it. I mean, honestly, like looking at this first round of games, like if I had to put money on someone, maybe it would be Germany because they just looked so lethal. Um, oh no! And they oh. just they have the pieces, right? And they they haven't won. They have the hunger. I don't know, but it, it really is anybody's game. They got that schnauzer in them. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, <laughs> fine. Uh, before we uh, get to the stupid shit, we have a little bonus stupid shit. Because back to food, in your Canada preview, Abigail, you wrote, when I moved to Montreal two years ago, I expected to eat lots of poutine, bagels, and maple syrup. And hey, I was right. Of those three items, which has been your favorite? And what other Canadian delicacies have you discovered since arriving at McGill? Okay, so I'll talk about all of these things because I think it's important. So with, po- with poutine, it really depends on where you go. Um, Can you get like, a good veg poutine? Yeah, so my favorite poutine place and the place that I think a lot of people say is like the best one, actually, their gravy is vegetarian anyway. So it's incredible. Really? And they nice. have vegan cheese curds if you ask for them. I don't know what's in them. Probably, you know, stuff that we should not be ingesting. But Yeah, that I might... That I might. I might, I might decline. Just packing chips. You're yeah. like, wow, they are squeaky. I like but it. They are good. I've had them. Um, the place is Le Banquise, and that poutine is incredible. If anybody's looking for a recommendation, I always get the one that's like um, an American 
like in the American accent, we would say the Rachel, but they would probably want you to say Le Rachel. Um, and oh. it has like sauteed like mushrooms and green peppers and onions on them. And so that's really good. But then like in like my first year in university, like in the residences, they would serve poutine sometimes. And it was like, not very good. Shocker. Um, yeah, so yeah. poutine definitely like depends on where you go. Um, That's a dining hall poutine. I'm still kind of like, I'm like, ah, it's a wood. Like I, uh, it's not something yeah. I'm completely incurious. About. You're not going to be drunk enough. To I would, no, I did eat it. It was, it would be like on like weekend mornings and they would have it like with eggs on top. So it was like filling enough. Um, but it's just like, I would say it'd I be would a bit never, filling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like I would never pay like, money out of my wallet for that um bagels are great the issue is that they're like really particular places that you have to go to to like get the really classic material bagel and there's like this big like argument of like if um fairmount or like saint vietur is better and so i don't know i personally typically go to fairmount just because it's like closer to my house um yeah, and it, but it also can be kind of stressful because it's like a really small space and you have to, or actually you don't have to pay in cash if it's over a certain amount, but it's like, I don't know, it's like they get you in and out. There's no place to sit. And so it's like, can be kind of stressful. So you really have to earn your bagels. Are they are they large bagels? or No, no, no they're thin. See, that's my problem. I need one the size of a fucking life raft. How has your adjustment to the Canadian bagel way been? Because I know that you, at, at like me, grew up eating our big doughy American bagels. I mean, is- I I love Canadian bagels. I think that I really like that they're sweet. Um, and it's kind of the outside is, or like even just the whole thing is like more chewy, whereas I feel mm-hmm. like American bagels are more bready. Um, so I feel like it really just packs a punch. And instead of like, eating one or two bagels you eat like two or three you know um so i don't see it as a loss at all yeah i've come to i mean i've not had them in canada but there's enough places have made canadian bagels in new york city successfully to like last here despite how parochial everybody is about the the thing so i i salute them that is i want to go to montreal and eat i it seems like there's more stuff there that uh doesn't have like calf's liver in it than i thought i always had this idea that if i went there i would have to like go by myself (laughs) because my wife would just not be able to do anything so the idea that there's veg i mean she's not gonna eat it anyway but i can tell her now that there's veg poutine and she'll be like that's nice sweetie (laughs) that'll be great you thought joe beef was the entire city i kind of did i kind of did like i was just sort of like yeah it's great like you have to unfortunately like it's calvados comes out of the cold water in the tap (laughs) like that is just completely debauched but i guess it's not like that it's also important to note that like montreal is like a very like diverse city there are like a ton of immigrants and so the best food here is not the canadian food it's all the other kinds of food so well, that that is just like america yeah uh, exactly to to a t time for our guy of the week every week we remember an athlete of your not a hall of famer necessarily but just a guy who makes you think hey i remember that guy abigail siegel our guy of the week it's michelle Akers. you remember that guy or no, gal, I actually don't, is. but I know who it is because I think oh, I right. was not alive. But oh, okay, all right, all right. Well, look, you remember who Michelle Akers was? You remember you weren't alive when she was on the U.S. national team, so that's pretty good. That ticks off Great. the box. And let me just—I'll just briefly say David Akers. 
Yeah, yeah, he was a guy. Time he to open the fun bag. These are real questions from Defector Readers and Distraction listeners. I'm going to give the first one to you, Roth, because it's it says for Roth. Mm, this is from nice. Lyle, and Lyle says, Roth, given unlimited time, how many baseball players do you think you could name off the top of your head? <laughs> oh, I kind of wow. want to make you do it, but that would actually get very boring. Very yeah, quickly. there's uh, that would become uh, like ASMR uh, stuff really quickly. So I was talking to a friend about this over the weekend mm -hmm. um, some of that cohort where you just start talking about Immaculate Grid with the homies when you're sitting by a lake, which I did. So he said that there's been something like 24,000 people have played Major League Baseball since like the 1880s. Um, I don't think I could name half of them, but I would like to think that I could get into the, the mid-thousands. Really? Oh. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's especially... You know, like I've had a harder time with the Immaculate Grid experience of like just remembering there's certain like bulky middle relievers where like I can imagine them in any uniform, you know, and I can get confused that way because I'm like, I don't know, Todd Coffey kind of feels like a cub, but he wasn't a cub. He was a national and a brewer. And that's how that is. And in this case, like, I think that just remembering the name or like remembering just some dude whose baseball card I once had, they used to make so many baseball cards when I was a kid, like they would just they didn't know what the business was. So they were like, people seem to like these. Let's make more of them, more of the same of every one of these things. Supply and demand, this is, baby. This is the downside of supply and demand is that when you have idiots running it, what you wind up with is like the 91 Donruss set where there's like a million versions of each card in print. But I remember all of those cards because I had them and I was kind of like, you know, thinking that there was some important information to be gleaned from the back of a whatever John Moses card. So that name is in my head forever. Um, it probably is more realistic that, like, if I could get to a thousand, that would be pretty good. But I think I could get to a thousand. I'll begin now. You guys Abigail, can keep talking. Abigail, I don't know if you have this problem, but like, my top of the head recall suffers under pressure. So, like, if I'm playing Mad Libs with my kids and like I hear I'm asked to give them an adjective, like, I'm a professional writer, but like, most of the time, I'm going to be like, bad like I, I i fucking freeze i can't i can't think of anything off the top of my head and this podcast is more than proof of it do you ever have that problem with recall abigail you're a college student so maybe you're a little bit quicker on the draw during a test yeah well definitely sometimes i actually was i took a psychology class and i learned that there's this thing called i think like social facilitation i want to say where it's like if you're put under pressure and you're like performing in front of other people if it's something that you're like really good at then you actually get better because you're performing on, in front of other people but if it's something that you're not good at then you get worse than you would be had you were you doing it alone and so i mean obviously that's not like a universal thing um but that's like something to think on. I don't know. I I feel like I'm not very good at it though. So maybe I'm just like bad at everything. No, come on. Uh, <laughs> you got this job. I think you're good at some stuff. Andy <laughs> writes in Abigail. He says, my wife and I are currently getting our kitchen redone. We were away on vacation when the demo started. So luckily we weren't there for all the dust. But now not having a dishwasher and plates you need... And shit, you need to live in a modern society. I realized how used I am to modern convenience. Is there any modern day comfort that you can get rid of and not be mildly or majorly inconvenienced like I am currently? Abigail, how Spartan of an existence can you lead? I'm not sure. I feel like it depends on like how much time or how much 
productivity I like need to be doing otherwise because I feel like I can really like get into like the oh I love manual labor like I'm gonna wash all these dishes by hand or you know what it is but then it's like if I'm busy like doing other things and like or I have like certain deadlines or something then I'd be like fuck this like I need a dishwasher you know so it just depends on what other demands are on me my answer for this I can I can say because I lived it is we had to cook off a hot plate for a while due to some repairs in the building and we the gas line was off for our apartment for months. And cooking on a hot plate for a few months is a nice reminder of the fact that it's really good. You don't have to cook on a hot plate all the time, like especially if you cook dinner every night, which we do, that that is uh, like a proper working stove is a necessity for me in a way that like I think I knew, but I didn't know it until I experienced not having it. And then I was a very pouty boy. If I may correct you, the question was, is there any modern day comfort you can get rid of? And not well, we were without a we were without a dishwasher for a long time too, and I was basically where Abigail uh, was describing on that, where I was like, I didn't love it, but it was also like whatever, it was five extra minutes, and you can in the way that uh, this was the way something I did with CSA too, where it would be like having some stupid task to do with your hands when you spend all day staring at a laptop screen like a dork. Right, it was like I loved like um, breaking down and like bundling up the boxes with twine. That was like a really important thing for me. It felt amazing. And yet at the same time, it's like, that's dumb. Like that's not a real task. I did it for like four hours on Tuesdays. And that was, and I pretended that that was a significant experience. Washing dishes was sort of similar. Like if I had to continue to do it, like having a dishwasher is tight. Um, but I was able to get by without it for a while. What about I you, Drew? Do you have one? I live with that one. Yeah, I have a surprising answer, but I lived with that dishwasher when I was a bachelor in New York, and I did not do the dishes. So that was not, uh, mm. that was like, like there would be like fur in the bowls. Oh, no. Like, I, I guess yeah. this fits, though. Yeah, you. Yeah, I remember you talking about, like, back when you, like, everything you ate was coming off a of Foreman grill, yeah, and you were yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like, this is it, this is the life. Anyway, I'm like Joey from Friends right now. My answer, and I swear I'm not saying this to be like Mr. Wokenstein, it's a car. I think I could be okay without my car. I say that even though my tire got a flat the other day, and I was like, oh, my God. And I had a car trouble and like- <laughs> Even living I, where, where you live, you think you could get by without a car? Yeah, I mean, I live in a suburb. There's like a supermarket within a mile. I could bike there. Like I have a bike. I'm Mr. Bike. I could do it all. Okay. But the actual transporting of the of the groceries back, I would have yeah. to get the I would have to get the saddlebags on my bike that make yep. me look like I'm fucking I'm, I'm a fucking <laughs> pony express rider going to fucking <laughs> You'd have to uh, wear like a backpack okay with like the celery sticking out of the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's or having right. one of those things that like people pull their pets or children around in, but then it's just like it's full of leaks. We had one we had one to, to take the take the kids around when they were babies, like to take them on bike rides. We never used it and it sat under the house and like a family of like giant wolf spiders was like, yeah, nice. this looks cool. This is great. It's we don't even have to build any webs. Like it's already uh, it's already here for us. Abigail Siegel, you've been a fantastic guest, and everyone can find your work at Defector, as you can find Roth's and mine. And also, if you're one of a- Abigail's uh, professors and you're listening to this, you better give her an A, or I'm gonna slug you. Well, and that's a threat. Let's not. We don't need to threaten anybody. I'll just oh, show up and say oh. things in a. Uh, 
French pronunciation that will offend you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you don't get Renee, we're gonna come uh, to your office during office hours and do nothing but talk about sandwiches. And you're yeah. so be like, oh, mais oui, c'est bon ça, uh-huh. la baguette. Speaking yeah, that'll of that, be me. Eric Silver that. is our producer. Brandon Grubel, oh, formidable. And our, our theme song <laughs> is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production <laughs> services are by Multitude, and you subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at defector.com. Or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANELA-ZERO-ABIGAIL. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Enjoy yes, the tournament, again. everybody. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Au revoir.